Hello and welcome to episode 2 of the Simply Commercial podcast series, The Vaccine Rollout. I'm Alex and I'm your host for today. Today we're going to take a look at the background of the vaccine and the different ones that have been created and most importantly address the scepticism of the development process which has divided public opinion. So let's get started. At the time of this podcast only one vaccine has been approved by the United Kingdom and that is the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. The other vaccines include that manufactured by AstraZeneca partnering with the University of Oxford here in the UK Moderna vaccine, the Novovax, and a variety of other vaccines in trial stages, including one developed by pharmaceutical giant GlaxoSmithKline. It is safe to say, vaccine pun intended, that there are a variety of experiments taking place globally, all with the same end goal. So let's take a look at those we know the most about. Let's start with the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. This is the only vaccine currently, as of December 9th, 2020, approved by the United Kingdom, by the MHRA, or Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency, who are the governmental body responsible for the approval of and implementation of new medical products. This is the first emergency use authorisation of its kind globally, and the UK are the first country in the world to start using the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine out of clinical trials. The question on everybody's minds is, how is this vaccine being granted regulatory approval so quickly and How does this compare to vaccine procedures in normal times? Let's start with the latter. It's fair to say there is a large amount of public scepticism of the vaccine, ranging from those who can't wait to those who never trust a vaccine, and most of us fall somewhere in between that spectrum. Sir Patrick Vallance, the chief scientific advisor to the government, stated that pre-coronavirus, on average, a vaccine would take 10 years to produce, and that feat has never been accomplished in less than 5 years. But he did qualify this to say that new technology has helped to shrink that timeline. So although we hear this 10-year figure being overstated in the news, it is worth bearing in mind the context and that new technologies help to expedite this process without decreasing safety and effectiveness. Another reason to dampen the scepticism is funding. Any medical research and production is expensive to say the least, and the COVID-19 vaccine is no different. Essentially, the UK government pre-bought many vaccines, with 40 million doses of the Pfizer vaccine and 100 million doses of the AstraZeneca-Oxford vaccine on order, the capital has been available for the researchers and manufacturers to use and fund their process. In addition, the speed at which the scientists in China identified and shared the genetic sequence of COVID-19 and the work they had already undertaken on other coronaviruses aided general scientific understanding of the complexities that a vaccine would need to overcome. So if more knowledge than normal more advanced technology than normal, more funding than normal, more willing volunteers than normal, we can begin to see why the development period wasn't itself normal. If you put all of those factors together, it's inevitable that the speed of development will increase, as will efficiency, but it's arguable that the mainstream media often miss out on these crucial factors. The next question on everybody's minds is how the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine has been approved, and how come the UK is the only country in the world to approve it? The truth is, we are still learning the answer to this, and it is inevitable in the coming days and weeks another approval will be made globally. Dr Penny Ward, a visiting professor at King's College London, stated that the approval of medicines normally takes six to nine months as the data is given to the regulatory agencies in one big go. The COVID-19 vaccine has been different, 
and rather than dumping this information on an agency at the end, a process known as rolling review has been carried out. Every time new information came to light, it was immediately sent to the regulatory agency, therefore, again, allowing to expedite the process. The Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine approval is under an emergency approval and is therefore on a batch-by-batch basis rather than full basis. What this means is that every production batch must be approved to ensure that there is no variability between batches. Once this has been confirmed, a more general approval may be allowed. So even though a temporary approval has been allowed, it isn't a full licence to manufacture and distribute. It's conditional and allows the regulatory bodies involved to ensure the standard of the vaccine remains consistent. So we have now addressed the speed of development and the regulatory approval, which are the main public scepticisms of the vaccine. However, it is arguable that more needs to be done to address public opinion. The US have been debating recording celebrities having the vaccine, and the media have even questioned the same thing happening to the Queen. But in reality, is this what is needed? Is it not more simple to give a true, factual report to the public? We've had countless Downing Street press conferences over the last year, and maybe one purely focusing on addressing public opinion of the vaccine would make a huge difference in quelling the doubt of society. It's also worth noting that the different vaccines do differ. The Pfizer vaccine, for example, requires a constant temperature of minus 70 degrees to be maintained, whereas the Oxford vaccine doesn't. In fact, the Oxford vaccine is the cheapest and easiest vaccine to produce, hence the hefty purchase quantity of 100 million doses by the government before regulatory approval has even been granted. The logistical problem posed by the Pfizer vaccine has made it difficult to offer it to care homes and remote locations, The flexibility and logistical efficiency of the Oxford vaccine will therefore be welcomed in the global race to end the crisis. It was inevitable that some kind of selective process would be required to determine who will be given the vaccine first, as the current global demand massively outweighs the regulatory approved supply. The government's Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation has confirmed its priority list for phase one of the vaccine rollout. Topping the list and the main priority are residents in care homes, followed by those aged 80 and over and frontline health and social care workers. The list then descends in age-decreasing intervals, only accommodating for those under 50 if they have underlying health conditions which puts them at a higher risk of serious disease and mortality. However, the logistical problems relating to the Pfizer vaccine has made it difficult to get the vaccine into the top priority demographic of care homes. However, in the last few days, regulatory approvals to split up the vaccine packs has been rolled out and it is expected that they will be delivered into care homes within the next few weeks. As has been obvious throughout the pandemic, it is a certain section of society that stands to suffer the most from the disease, and sadly, many people have lost their lives because of it. Hopefully, the scientific advances we refer to today can help to save lives in the future, and allow society to return back to normality. December the 8th, 2020 was duly named by Health Secretary Matt Hancock as V-Day, as 91-year-old Margaret Keenan became the first person in the world outside of clinical trials to be given the vaccine. She left the room to a rapturous round of applause and described it as the best early birthday present she could wish for. She went on to say, if I can have it at 90, then you can have it too, and her words may begin to be the catalyst required to reverse public opinion. Through the Vaccine Task Force, the UK government has ordered a total of 357 million doses of seven different vaccines, with Matt Hancock adding he has great hopes for summer 2021. It's hard to imagine that only seven months since the beginning of clinical trials, the UK vaccine rollout has begun, 
Pfizer, in their statement, highlighted that the authorization marked a historic moment in the fight against COVID-19, which is a fight that science will win. I would personally like to say a huge thank you to all of those people who have helped this small glimmer of hope become possible. From the researchers in the labs globally, to the manufacturers, to the volunteers, to the NHS staff and to all of the people who have come together in a global effort to help conquer the virus. And although there remains uncertainty and by no means is the problem solved, it seems highly probable that this development will undoubtedly save lives in the future. The vaccine race isn't a commercial race to create a vaccine as many media outlets have portrayed it, but the global race to vaccinate and eliminate the global pandemic. For one vaccine will not be enough to vaccinate everybody, but all the vaccines together may allow us to return to normality. What we have talked about today will no doubt be constantly changing on a daily basis as new approvals and rollouts are granted, but hopefully this episode has helped answer many questions and queries you may have had regarding the vaccine. I'd like to thank you very much for listening and joining me today. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode and please do let us know your thoughts either on our LinkedIn page or Instagram page with the handle Simply Commercial Podcast. We have one more episode coming out before Christmas where we'll take a look at how the government has been funding the pandemic, from furlough to eat out to help out and the vaccine purchases we mentioned today. And why can't the bank just print out money? All of this will be answered in our next episode, so hopefully I'll see you soon for episode 3. Take care and stay safe.